If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find 2 Samuel as we are continuing to go through the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, how David had found out about Saul and Jonathan's death and the defeat of the army. And we looked at that passage of Scripture about how he was telling everybody how he feel, felt and uh, the emotion that came with losing someone so close to him. And today, as we continue on in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2, if you're taking notes this morning, it's how to find your spot. Or it might be better said, how to find your place. And you say, well, that, that sounds kind of negative. Let me just explain it for just a moment. How many of you have ever felt out of place, right? If you were in junior high, you probably at some point felt extremely awkward when you were that age, right? Or in high school, um, maybe you had thought you were going to get a job. You wanted this job. You, you wanted it more than anything, and then you did not get it. Maybe you felt through times in your life that the Lord wanted you to do something, that the Lord was opening up an opportunity, and you stepped out in faith, and it didn't work out. I think probably all of us have felt out of place. Maybe your family has went through a great loss or a great time of difficulty and you feel like you've been thrust into a position where you don't quite fully understand how things are supposed to work. I think all of us have struggled with that at some point in our life. Finding where God wants us to be, finding out what God wants for us to do, where we're at, and that's very important because we have to get to a point where we know what God wants for us, where God wants us, and how to serve Him where we're at. You say, well, Jake, I'm really struggling in our personal life. My wife and I have different views of where we're going as a family. Maybe you're in a situation at work where you don't know that your goals align with those that you work with. I think this is very important. And so today I want to try to show you how King David dealt with this situation. King David, as you know, had ran from Israel, had been living with the Philistines. He had been uh, fighting and battling and, and uh, he'd been through a lot. And most likely, and these are just estimates because we don't know for sure, okay? Most likely, David would have killed Goliath somewhere between the age of 16 and 18. Somewhere in that range. We don't know for sure. But in this story, in chapter 2, he is 30 years old. And so, whether David had been on the run for 10 years, 8 years, 6 years, 4 years, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is David has spent almost 14 years since he was coronated as or anointed as king. If you remember, Samuel anointed him and said, you are going to be the king one day. And so 14 years, he has lived with this knowledge that God wants me to be king. But yet I'm living on the run. I'm hiding out in caves. I've, I've got these soldiers that are misfits and, and, and all these people and we've, we've, we're following us around. And, and you, you're probably thinking in that 14-year period, Lord, I'm ready for the palace life. Lord, I'm, I'm ready for the life of privilege. Lord, I'm ready to figure out my life instead of living in the wilderness, <laughs> of using rocks for pillows. Lord, I'm tired of hiding in the back of caves that King Saul is using the bathroom in. 
All right, David is literally sleeping in the back of the outhouse where King Saul is going. And so Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, and you and I are thinking, here it is. Uh, the extension to the throne. But from the beginning of this chapter till the time that David actually becomes king over all of Israel is going to be seven and a half more years. You say, wait a second. He has spent 14 years waiting. How many years running? And he is going to have to spend another seven and a half years of just being in charge of one tribe of Israel? Yes. Has to go through a civil war. Has to go through all kinds of things. And you say, well, Jake, I'm ready to know where my spot is today. I'm ready to understand why people do what they do today. I want to know, and today I want to give you a simple piece of advice and something that will change your life. Those decisions are above your pay grade and above mine. I wish they weren't. I wish I could tell you why people do what they do and say what they say and think what they think and, and why you didn't get that promotion or why your family is struggling with cancer or, or why you lost your loved one. I wish I could give you those answers, but I cannot. And so today, if you would, stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 of 2 Samuel, and then I hope today to help you know how to find your spot. Starting in verse 1, the Bible says, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are a blessed of the Lord. For you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you with kindness, because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Pray with me. Father, today we thank you for the wonderful privilege to worship you. Lord, I thank you for this group of people that have chosen today to come and to worship you. Lord, whether they came with a desire to worship you or a desire to just be here or Lord, if they were dragged here today, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, deal with them, work in them. And God, that you would make this the church that you want it to be. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me. Lord, open my mouth to the things that need to be said and close it to those that doesn't. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So three things today I want to show you very quickly about finding your spot. You say, Jake, I don't care where I'm at. I'm just I'm going through life as a, as a carefree soul, or I'm just like a ship without a rudder. Friends, you are not just here by chance. You're not just 
floating through life. You are either doing what God wants you to do and finding his blessings and purpose, or you are in rebellion against him. You say, no, Jake, I just don't want anything to do with God. I'm, I won't bother him if he doesn't bother me. But friends, you are in rebellion. You are somewhere that God does not want you to be. And so the first thing I want to show you today from this text is you need to seek the Lord's direction. You need to seek the Lord's direction. You see, David has been waiting all this time. You see, David knows that he's supposed to be king. But what's the first thing he does? Look here in verse 1 with me this morning. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up, David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron, you would think that David has done this enough. He has made decisions enough that he's just going to say, I'm going to where the people are and they're going to make me king. But David has made a lot of decisions that he thought were wise from an earthly standpoint. If you remember, David was in fear and he fled to the land of the Philistines. He lived there for 14 years and he made the decision to, to lie about what he had been doing. And if you remember, he was going to have to go to war against his own people until God spared him. And so, if you remember, ever since that time of David making his own decisions, what he thought was best, what looked like the most smart decision, what looked like the, the world would want for him, he begins to inquire of the Lord. When his family was taken, if you remember, when he was out in battle, they inquired of the Lord. You see, David learned something that you and I must understand. Friends, there are people who are wise according to the world. There will be situations that make sense according to the flesh. But we as God's people do not operate in the flesh. We are making decisions based on spiritual warfare, on the things that God has for us. And so the God's decisions that he wants for us sometimes make no earthly sense. God will ask you to do things and trust him in ways that from a worldly standpoint doesn't make sense. I uh, always tell people uh, that the, the logic in life is always move for work, right? You need to find the best job you can find, when you can find it, and how you can find it. I always tell people, think differently. Find a great church. Find a place where you can serve. Find a place where you can honor God and then worry about the work second. You say, well, Jake, that doesn't make any sense. I'm telling you, your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with God and serving Him and honoring Him and doing all those things is the most important decision that you will ever make. You say, Jake, that's not a biblical, that's not biblical advice. Actually, I would love to share a verse with you. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of righteousness and what? All other things will be added unto you. If you do what God wants you to do, if you will seek His will for your life, He says that He will add what to you? All things. That means He'll take care of the relationships. He takes care of the finances. He'll take care of where you need to live. He will handle it. And David says, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to know what you want for my life. Jesus set this example. And we're not going to read all of the uh, verses in John chapter four, 5. But in John chapter 5, 
Jesus is talking about His will and the Father's will and accomplishing what God wants for Him, the Father. In verse 30, it says this. In John chapter 5, you can read verses 24 through 30 on your own time. It says in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteousness. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying, I want to do what the Father says. I want to do what the Father sent me here. He says, not my will, but the Father's. And if you know anything about uh, who God is, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or the Trinity, and you say, how do you explain the Trinity? You'll just have to ask God when you get to heaven. But, uh, But it's one God, and He reveals Himself in three individual persons, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And so he says, though, that I am going to do what the Father sent me to do. And this morning, my challenge to you is, are you honestly getting up every day saying, God, what do you want from me? You say, Jake, I went to the same place of employment for the same, worked for the same people. I've done the same thing for 30 years. But yes, you ought to be praying every day. God, show me what to say, what not to say. Lord, help me to extend mercy and grace to my coworkers. God, help me to extend mercy and grace to my customers. Maybe you stay at home and are raising your children. And maybe you say, well, Jake, it's the same thing every day. We get up, we do school, we, we go to, we could do this, we do that. And, and, and how do I need to pray for God's will? Every word, every thought, every action, every situation, you should be saying, God, help me to do what you want me to do. Not only was Jesus our example on this, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit, about not hindering what God wants to do in your life. Paul writes in verses 15 through 21, we're just going to look at verse 17, but I want you to read that on your own time. In verse 17 it says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You need to know what God wants for your life. You say, Jake, that's easier said than done. David heard from God. We have no idea how David heard this from God. We don't know if it was through a prophet. We don't know if God audibly spoke to him. We don't know if it was through the ephod or something else. But listen to me. How he heard is not important. That he heard is. And friends, you and I have something that God has given us that promised to give us truth and clarity in every situation of our life. One, He is the Holy Spirit who lives within us. You say, Jake, I can't make decisions based on the Holy Spirit. Actually, you can if you'll study the Word of God. Because as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, you will find the answer and direction that God wants for your life. You say, well, Jake, there are some situations that God is not going to give me an answer on. I disagree with you. I disagree with you because it's always about what honors Him. You say, Jake, why does God care if I work here or there? Or where does God care if I go on vacation here or there? Or why does God care if I invest my money here or there? Well, maybe if you thought about it like this. Are you investing your money in businesses that honor God or don't honor God? Ooh. It's time to sell some of them stocks. What about my vacation? What does it matter where I go vacation? You ever thought about using your vacation to go on a mission trip? Oh, now, preacher. 
Don't be meddling. That's all right. I was gone last week and I can be gone next week. It don't bother me at all. You say, well, Jake, what about where I work? Have you ever thought maybe that that's a lost place and God needs a messenger there? Needs a light in the darkness? You say, well, Jake, I don't like my coworkers. Maybe they need Jesus and they don't like you yet either. But if you lead them to the Lord, you might all like each other a little better. So see, ask yourself that. God, what do you want for my life? That's what David did. David was seeking to be where God wanted him in this important time of his life. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is you need to surround yourself with the right people. You need to surround yourself with the right people. Look here in verses 2 and 3. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, and David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. David didn't just go by himself. All those people that had been with him in the wilderness, all those people who had slept in the caves with him, all those people who had fought the battle with him, they all go together. Now, I want to be very clear here because the right people and the people you like aren't always the same. And don't miss this. We huddle in groups of people who agree with us. It's just the way it is. We huddle with people who think the same way we do about politics. We think we huddle with people who think the same way we do about education. We huddle with people who think the same way about all kinds of things. And what happens is when we huddle in those areas, that doesn't mean they are the right people. They are people like you. And David was not hanging with people that were just like him. Some of these people were running from Saul just like him. Some of these people recognized that he was supposed to be king, and so they followed him. Some of them were his family that followed him. But the purpose was all the same. And today you need to know something. You have to surround yourself, not with people who just agree with you, but people who will fight with you and for you. Not with you in the sense of you and your wife yelled all the way to church this morning, but I mean people who will be there in the thick and thin. People who have the integrity to keep your secrets. People who have integrity to be there with you when no one else is. People who are honoring God and honoring the things of God and who can sit across from you from time to time and say, hey, you're on a soapbox, you have built walls, and you're wrong. You need someone in your life outside of your spouse, most likely, that will tell you the things you don't want to know or don't want to hear when you need to hear them. You need someone in your life like that. You need someone that can say, hey, I am concerned with the, the way you're not reading your Bible. Hey, I'm concerned with the fact that you've not been at church lately. Hey, I'm concerned about the fact that I've, I've heard some language and things coming out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of here. I, I'm concerned about that friendship that you ought to have someone in your life that will be there with you, fight for you, fight with you, but also say, hey, I think there's a blind spot in your life. You say, Jake, I don't want people like that in my life. Then, friends, you are headed for ruin. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, talking about the disciples and talking about how their relationship had changed. And you can read that in verses 9 through 17. But for the sake of time, I want us to look at just verse 15. In verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants. For servants... 
does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus says, you know me, you know my heart, you know what the Father wants. We're on the same mission, we're trying to accomplish the same purpose, and we are not just master and servant, but friends. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, verse 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. What I have decided in life is this, that you can always surround yourself with people because there's always someone that will agree with you. Whether you like a politician or don't like a politician. Whether you like a church or don't like a church. Whether you like certain hobbies or don't like certain hobbies. You can surround yourself with people who sound and look and talk and think just like you. But I want to say this today, and I'm not talking about anyone in here today, okay? It's everyone that doesn't go to church here, right? Fools can congregate together. And sometimes you wake up in life and you realize, I'm in the middle of a congregation of fools. Our friend group has made decisions. Our life groups have made decisions. Our, we have made unwise decisions and we have surrounded ourselves with people who agree with us, who think like us, but yet they are not honoring God. And so this morning, you've got to seek what the Lord wants for you. And you've got to surround yourself with the right people. But third and final thing today is this. You need to show kindness as you go. You say, well, Jake, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and I don't care who I hurt as I go. Or I'm going to surround myself with the right people, and I don't care who we leave out. I don't care who we hurt in the process. But look what it says in verses 4 through 7. It says this morning in God's Word, Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. That's one tribe of the twelve. David's tribe, Right? His family and friends, great aunts, great uncles, nieces, nephews say, hey, we want you to be king. Why do you think they wanted him to be king? Everybody likes knowing someone in high places. Everybody wants to know, hey, can you fix the potholes in my road? Hamilton County, that means something, but it doesn't get done. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. We, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm thankful. We've got a good road commissioner here, and our road always looks good out here. But if you live in Dagger, you know what I'm talking about. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I will also repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant and your master Saul is dead. And also the house of a Judah has anointed me king over it, over them. If you remember, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones when Saul's body was hanging on the Philistine town wall that they went and got him and they buried him and honored him. But if you don't know this, the men of Jabesh Gilead had been extended kindness by Saul many chapters before. 
And so, because they had been shown kindness, when David, when Saul died, they stepped out in faith. But some people say this. Well, David was just a shrewd politician. And he knew that he had to start turning people to his side. Look up here. If you trust human politicians to fix your problems, you are going to be miserable and grouchy all the time. And some of you are miserable and grouchy all the time, so get over it, all right? But what David is doing here is not that. David loved Saul and Jonathan. And these people had done something above and beyond to honor Saul. And these people were so loyal to Saul, guess who their number one enemy should have been? David. And David's number one enemy should have been who? Them. But don't miss this this morning because it is so good. But David extended kindness to them. He sent them this note. He sent this a message and said, you honored Saul. You are noble. You are valiant. You are people of integrity. And he says, I'm going to be kind to you. Because you know what they're thinking probably, right? Saul's dead. <laughs> David's increasing power. Guess what's going to happen to us? But the first thing David says is, you'll get none of that from me. I will extend mercy to you because you extended mercy to Saul. Friends, the Bible says if you extend mercy, God will extend mercy. If you want to be judgmental, then God will judge you. But what we see here is even on his way to the top, when God was beginning to raise him up, David did not forget where he had been. That's why the Bible says that in due time, if you will humble yourself, that God will raise you up. Friends, I can tell you there will be times in your life when you will not want to trust God. You'll want to handle the situation. You'll want to handle the rumor. You'll want to fight the battle on your own. Let God raise you up. Let God put you where He wants you to be. And remember, when God raises you up, don't use it as a place to be vindictive. Don't use it as a place to retaliate. Don't use it as a time to say, well, I'm going to get them now that they tried to get me. You just be kind. In Matthew, in Mark, the eighth chapter, <coughs> starting in verse one, there's a couple verses here I want to read to you. It's one through ten, but I don't have time to read them all. Starting in verse one, it says this. In those days, the multitudes being very great and have nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days. And have nothing to eat. And I, if I send them away hungry to their own houses. They will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. If you remember this. This is where Jesus feeds the 4,000. Second time he's done this miracle. But he says I've had compassion on them. Why? Because they're just here listening to me. They're just here experiencing healings. They're just here experiencing life. And they have a long way to go. Some of them won't make it home. Their journey is so far. And I'm going to extend kindness to them. Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords. In today's world, you'd have to buy a ticket to listen to him. You'd have to stand in line. I, if you know anything about me, I love Duke basketball. And if you love North Carolina, 
you can get saved and go to heaven. It's not too far for you, all right? But yesterday was Coach K's last home game. They had a big celebration, an amazing event. Got beat, cheated, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but tickets were going for over $5,000 a seat. And that's just to see a man. But if Jesus was here and he was healing people and he was giving sight to the blind, the disciples would be like, how much can we charge for people to get in? That's not how Jesus thought. Jesus says, I am here to serve. I am here to change lives. The Bible teaches us the same thing for us in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, starting in verses 27 through 36, are some of my least favorite verses in the entire Bible. You say, Jake, you shouldn't have least favorite verses. Well, it's all about loving your enemy. It's just the way it is. It talks about how you turn the other cheek. It's about how you give your enemy what they need. But in verse 35, it says these words. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be what? Don't miss that. It's a promise. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unfaithful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. You say, Jake, I don't, like, I don't know why you don't like those verses. Oh, really? How many of you want to give good gifts to the people that hate you the most? How many of you want to go out of your way and sacrifice for someone that's hurt you? You say, Jake, I can forgive, but I don't forget. Look up here just a second. It is impossible for human beings to forgive. Just impossible. But what if God said, you know what? I'm going to forgive Jake Gray's sin, but I'm forgetting him. I'm never going to bless him again. I'm never going to be kind to him again. I'm never going to take care of him again. You'd say, well, that's not very fair. But Jesus said, how merciful you are. You should be merciful like who? God. I hear people say it all the time. Jake, I forgave him, but I'm done with him. You're in sin. Well, Jake, I, I forgive him, but I'll never speak to him again. You're in sin. You say, Jake, you're meddling today. That's good. You say, well, Jake, I forgive him, but I'm going to avoid him at all costs. Sin. Jesus tells us in this verse, but love your enemies are enemies. It doesn't say people you kind of don't like. It doesn't say people that you do like. It says the people who hate you the most. In Jesus' day, his enemies were trying to do what to him? Kill him. And here he sits saying, love your enemies. If I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, I'm so sick and tired of them Pharisees showing up and ruining everything. If I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, I'm so tired of the Sadducees. and the, I'm sick of them people. We'll heal somebody. We'll feed the multitudes. The sight will be given back to the blind. And here they come with one purpose, to divide and destroy. And Jesus is going to sit across from us and say, love those people. I'm sure Peter took that well. I don't know if you remember uh, John and his uh, brother. They wanted to call down fire and destroy people. Sons of thunder. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you to call down fire from heaven and wipe them out. I want you to love your 
enemies. That's why it's my least favorite. I want my enemies to fall down a flight of stairs. Not die, but just get hurt. That's why there's no, no, hardly any stairs in this church apparently. But the Lord knew my struggle. But love your enemies. You say, that's bad enough, Jake. I'll love them in my heart. I'll love them deep, deep, deep down in there. Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said, love your enemies and what? Do good and lend. Oh, preacher. You just, this is just wrong. This Bible verse doesn't apply. David did that exact same thing. David sent them a letter saying, I'm going to extend mercy to you. I'm going to be kind to you because you were kind. You say, well, see, Jake, he was kind because they were kind. It's not how it goes. <clears throat> you said, okay, Jake, I, I'll, I'll love my enemies. I'll do good to them. But you can guarantee they better start doing it back. Well, I'm glad that you think that way because I'd love to show you what the Bible actually says. But love your enemies. Do good and lend. That word's not hopping, okay? Some of you are saying it says hopping. No, it's not hopping. Hoping for nothing in return. You're saying, Jake, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> I'll be good to him. <laughs> but you want me to expect nothing in return? Oh, yeah. You can protect someone else's integrity and their reputation. And guess what they'll do to you? They'll destroy yours. You can sacrifice and give and, and help people. And the moment you need something, guess what happens? They are nowhere to be found. And can I tell you what happens after 10 years of being a pastor? Your heart can grow cold. Your heart can grow very cold. Bitterness can sneak in. Does that family not remember when I drove to St. Louis and sat with them for seven hours when they lost a loved one? And they're going to go out and tell the community that? Don't they remember when I sat with them and counseled them for, for weeks on their marriage? And for them to do that? I can tell you after 10 years, it's easy to say, God, you send whoever you want, move whoever you want, and I won't worry about any of it. That's not what it says, is it? It says, love your enemies. Do good and lend. Hoping for nothing in return. But don't miss it. God always makes it worth it. Your reward will be great. I don't know if you know this or not, but I have the McDonald's app. And I love the McDonald's app, and it's all Gary Brzezinski's fault. He got me hooked on it. I can buy a breakfast sandwich and get another one for 29 cents. Now, I got to throw the bread away because I can't have the bun. But anyway, 29 cents. I can go through in the evening and get a Big Mac and get another one for 29 cents. Can't eat the bread. Got to throw it all away, but I can eat the other stuff. And I get so happy going through the drive-thru because I click on the section that says rewards. I've got the Hux app. Get 10 cents a gallon. And that's a big deal right now. I could even go in every day and get a free big swig. Every day! I can go to McDonald's, get my discount food, go to Huck's, get my free soda to save 56 cents because I'm that tight. 
Yeah, I can walk out of Huck's thinking, oh yeah, I am living the big life now. Because those rewards are rolling in. It saves me a total of $3 a day, and I am walking on cloud nine. Ladies, you think I'm dumb, but how many of you just love your Coles cash? Spend $800 to get 33. Every husband in here is going, preach it! Preach it! Don't even use the Coles cash half the time at our house, but we got it. I could have one more shirt for $62 and I'll get 10 bucks Coles cash. Praise the Lord! My wife's in here somewhere. <laughs> I just walk along in coals going, amen, amen, whatever you want, dear, whatever you want. Oh, it gets so happy. Woo! But friends, I tell you what, God promised if you do this, McDonald's wouldn't reward you. Hucks wouldn't reward you. Other people wouldn't reward you. But he would reward you. And friends, I've got to start being in a place where I want God to bless me. I want God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out the blessings. That's where I want my life to be. That's where I want my family to be. And friends, it's got to be, I want what God wants for my life. I'm going to surround myself with the people who God wants in my life. And I'm going to extend mercy and kindness as I go. So I want to just ask you a couple questions as we close. First of all, do you know that you belong to Jesus? Do you know today without a shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God? You see, David went to the Lord because he knew that he was his. He knew that he belonged to him. And what we see here is a king who is being anointed, who's being coronated, but there's no fanfare. It's just, the Bible says they showed up, they made him king, and they left. And friends, how about Jesus? The world thinks he doesn't matter. The world doesn't think he was impressive. But he came humbly and simply, but yet changed everything. The Bible tells us that Jesus died upon the cross for your sins and for mine. That he was buried, that he rose again. They rose again. That I can be forgiven. That you can be forgiven. This morning, do you honestly have a relationship with Him? Because if you don't, you can. Second thing I want to ask you this morning is, do you feel like you don't know where you belong? You say, Jake, I don't know if I belong here at church. I don't belong at home. I don't know if I belong where I'm at work. Maybe the situations in your life have rocked you to the core and what you believe and who you believe in. Friends, God wants you to know the purpose and place that He wants you to be. And then third, if you know that you belong to the Lord, you know that you're where God wants you to be, the question is, what is He going to ask you to step out in faith and do? Maybe today this sermon on loving your enemy part really has bothered you. How many of you don't like a politician? It wouldn't do anything good for them if they asked. I wouldn't. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. <laughs> and today the Lord's saying, hey, I want you to step out in faith. 
I want you to step out in faith and extend kindness and mercy. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to do what God has asked you to, to do as He raises you up? As He blesses you? As He gives you an increase? Are you willing to not forget where you've come from? We see it all the time in this world, don't we? People who come from humble beginnings have nothing. Maybe you helped them get their first job. They become the CEO of the company. They don't even give you the time of day. Maybe that family that you helped years ago, got them into church, took care of them, finally has arrived and forgot you even existed. Don't quit loving people. Don't quit forgetting how merciful God has been to you and I. And so today, if you would stand with me, every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray. These altars are going to be open today, whether it's you coming and giving your life to Jesus, whether it's you coming today and saying, God, I just, I don't know where I belong and I want to know. Or maybe it's God, I'm ready to step out in faith. Wherever it is. Father, today I pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would be at work. Not in the words that I have said, Lord, but your words, your scriptures. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now is convicting this congregation, Lord. Start with us. Start with me. Lord, to seek your will in all of our decisions. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to surround us with people, Lord, not just who agree with us, but Lord, who are the right people. Father, today I pray that you'd help us to extend kindness and mercy as you raise us up, just as you raised King David. Father, I pray today for the person in this room that's lost, that's doubting their salvation, that, Lord, today cannot extend mercy. Lord, your word says if we cannot forgive, we will not be forgiven. Today, Lord, I pray that today is the day that someone comes to know you, as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray today for this congregation, for those that are hurting, those that are struggling to stay in their marriage, Lord, those that are struggling to stay involved at church, those that are trying not to check out at work, God, that you to show them today that you have a purpose and a plan for their life. And then, Lord, third and finally, Lord, I ask that you'd help us to step out in faith in big ways. Lord, in big ways, in little ways, that don't make sense from the world's standpoint, to forgive that enemy, to pray for those that persecute us, to be kind to those, God, that haven't earned that kindness from an earthly standpoint. I pray, God, you do these things for your glory. Lord, help us to make a church that when we look at what is going on, the only explanation is that you are doing it. That it doesn't make sense from the world's standpoint. But God, you are saving people that the world has given up on. God, you're reconciling relationships that the world has given up on. God, all for your glory. And so, Lord, I thank you today for what you've done. Lord, I pray that you do greater things all for your glory. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.